lawyers suck at money and numbers? Didn't know that. How do you do it? How do you do it? I mean, I barely did it. This is like a bit extreme to start with, right? What's going on, George Mason? What's, what's, what's happening, guys? All right, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Barside, a podcast with Alex, Matt, and Cece. Today, we're first going to talk about some headlines that are happening in the legal world, and Matt will walk us through those. And then we're going to spend most of our time talking about this very interesting report about law firms and social media. But Matt, let's kick it over to you to talk about the latest news in the legal world. It's such a good week. So... We have the Lawfer case, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. This is an ADA tester case. No, no. Yeah, this case is this case is something. So sounds exciting. It's something because of the backstory. Oh, I know. I'm like, I'm very excited about this one. So how this case shook out, just to give you the ending first, because I'm not good at legal writing, um, is the, the case. <laughs> the case was mooted. All right, the case the case was mooted by the Supreme Court. The reason being is that the plaintiff in this case dismissed their case. But I'm going to give you some backstory first. In this case, it's an ADA tester case. This person was suing hotels in other jurisdictions uh, for not having the required ADA material on their website with certain kinds of information. And that person was in Florida, I believe, and they had no intention of going to those hotels. So there's a standing question, right? Like, how can they sue these hotels if they're never going to go? Now, that's, that's not the thing I want to talk about. The thing I want to talk about is the backstory here. So this person was using an attorney in a bunch of these cases, a lot of these cases. And the attorney was suspended for a big defraud, a big fraud issue. And that fraud issue actually implicated the plaintiff's family and by virtue of her family, her. So I, it's the weirdest case I've probably seen at the Supreme Court in a while just because of this like whole debacle involving her attorney. And... I don't know what to say. I, I I expected a lot more like, wow, unbelievable. But there has been a lot of uh, of hooting and hollering on Twitter, and it makes me uh, it makes me a little sad. What are people saying on Twitter about this case? What have I seen? To be honest with you, not much. Maybe like, oh hey, it's over. <laughs> like that's it. Which I I think it's crazy because we're we're looking at a case that had monumental implications. They could have at least, could have had monumental implications. Uh, three courts currently agree that she is standing. Three courts disagree that she is standing. And right when we finally get clarity on this issue, which ADA cases, there's, I mean, this is wide implications, right? Because I mean, uh, these ADA style cases are, are so prevalent. Yeah, they're really popular right now. Oh yeah. Um, and, and like we get to the end and they're like, eh, she dismissed her case, moot. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 like, can we like maybe like get to the bottom of this? Especially this like really strange way it was dismissed and the reason why it was dismissed. And everyone's like, yeah, nah, it's good. It's fine. We're fine. And it blows my mind. I don't understand why she didn't just change attorneys. I feel like this is like definitely grounds to just remove your attorney and get a new one. Well, it was an attorney in a bunch of other cases, but her, what she's saying is basically like, oh, there's this cloud of impropriety. Like it... I, this is such a monumental issue. I don't want anyone to think that I am at, at all right, like disingenuous in what I'm doing. Wow. So basically, this very important legal issue isn't going to be decided because some, there was some bad behavior by a lawyer. Always. Yeah, I feel like that's always what it is. It's crazy. 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 
Oh, yeah. So that was one thing. The next thing is Valve, which is a very large video game developer, mm-hmm. is actually suing a law firm for, I guess, I don't know what to call it, a, a scheme, a fraudulent scheme, if you will. They're saying that this law firm created the scheme where they would get as many uh, arbitration demands as physically possible to Valve, create this big, big, big upfront fee, hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they're like, well, do you, do you want to pay that? Or do you just want to settle real quick? And how we got to the bottom of this is a presentation for litigation finance, which is really big and these mass class actions and, mm-hmm. and also in personal injury, it was leaked. So in the complaint is slide after slide after slide of this presentation of like, this is how we're going to do it. This, And I think there's like a reference to um, one of the attorneys like debate record in high school, which was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I mean i mean good for you that's great no i feel like this is like peak lawyer uh behavior where you're always like but remember that time in high school like remember my lsat score remember that time in high school yeah remember i was debate champion in eighth grade and it's like okay it matters but it matters here i swear it always matters uh but it's an interesting case i don't know how i feel about it i mean if you have these arbitration agreements and you're requiring everyone to to abide by it and someone found a way to kind of exploit the provisions that you're forcing everyone these i mean i mean you know these these provisions are interesting because it's like you have these companies with these arbitration clauses and they're betting that you as an individual as a consumer you're like i'm not going to go to war i'm not going to file a case against this big company it just doesn't make sense and so they get away with a lot right but then Somebody comes along, and I know litigation funders or litigation finance is not always the most, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad behavior in that world too, but they come along and they're like, okay, well, we can level the playing field. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's not cool. I I don't know. It's it's a very interesting issue. And I don't know, I don't really know what to to make of it, but um, it's just so interesting that that's like become the whole industry and it's like an issue. So, so what's happening? What's going to happen next? So... Well, they're going to respond to the complaint. They're going to file a motion to dismiss and get this thing moving. But it, I, I, I just, I don't know if it's fraud. I don't know if I would call this fraud. I mean, this is just taking advantage of an arbitration provision that mm-hmm. Valve itself drafted. I mean, yeah, it sounds like making your own bed and then being forced to lie in it. You know, that's right. So it's like Valve. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's. No sympathy. No sympathy for you, Valve. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. Exactly. And then the last thing, which we just saw, um, so we don't have enough info, but I will say this is a headline that we caught on Twitter, is George Mason University was just hit with a non-compliance notice from the ABA. Why? Because apparently they don't have uh, sufficient current or anticipated financial resources to keep the law school going. Now, I just got this, uh, this, this tweet. I don't know more than that, but... What's going on, George Mason? What's, what's, what's happening, guys? Don't you have the money? You know, you know what I want to do is quickly look up how much tuition is for GMU, like George Mason Law. Tu- I was going to say, that's like how they make their money, right? Tuition. So, And tuition must be pretty expensive. So if they are somehow burning through their tuition money, that's kind of impressive. <laughs> Yeah, like, what are you buying? Is every every student get a boat? That'd be cool. I mean, I didn't get that when I went to Florida State. Okay, so so here's the, here here's what it is. 
there's an in-state and out-of-state. Didn't know that. Uh, in-state tuition is 24K per year. Uh, out-of-state is 30, about just under 40K per year. I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't even know how much law school costs these days. 70,000. 70,000? A year? Columbia's like at 70,000 per year now. Wow. Can you imagine? I Okay, to give context, my very first salary getting out of law school was $55,000. I think it was fifty five. If I spent $70,000 a year on law school, not including cost of living and and everything in between. I mean, listen, I, I got to go to these SBA events at the bar and I rack up this bill to make $55,000. I mean, I mean, again, that's like any public defender or any state attorney, right? That's making that kind of money. I mean, it's, how do you do it? How do you do it? I mean, I barely did it. Well, well, Matt, you got to first not get a job in insignificant law, right? That's the first step. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it. We should get a t-shirt for you. It says insignificant law. Like, I love it. Merch. I love, it's like such a good insult. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna mention insignificant law once every episode. I'm just slide it in there whenever like it randomly comes up. Uh here's a regional law firm attorney's gonna send you the angriest <laughs> freaking email. Like, you piece of shit. Insignificant law. <laughs> type, 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 type. And it'll be my own fault. It'll be my own fault. So I mean, you know, I 40 40k, 24k. What do we think about that? That's that's probably on the low end then, huh? If, if Columbia's at 70K. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm kind of thinking that that tuition is on the low end for law school. So maybe then it is not so surprising that they just blew through it through operating costs. But at the same time, they have enough students, right? Maybe are, are, is like enrollment down or is it due to exorbitant costs somehow? Now I'm gonna look. Yeah, we're all we're all gonna look into this, and and we need we'd actually need people to respond on Twitter, so that we can actually get the information. But I mean, I, I imagine it's probably the same number of students as last year, probably slightly more tuition this year than last year. So like, what's up with it? That's just random, like this random uh, insufficient funds. Let's ask. Let's do this. If you're listening to this and you are either at George Mason or you have information that we don't have shoot us a message we have we now have social media pages which is super exciting um shoot us a direct message or shoot one of us an email or a carrier pigeon or yell at us on reddit i don't give a shit just do one of those things and let us know what you know so we can get to the bottom of this george mason fiasco i think this is also another theme that i mean for all of two episodes i guess that we're running into which is that lawyers suck at money and numbers I mean, every time we've talked about it multiple times down, I'm like, how do you run through the same number of students roughly? Because I do think everyone's still trying to go to law school and slightly increase tuition. Like, how do you run through that? Well, Cece, if you were good at doing all of that math stuff, you probably would have reconsidered going to law school. Like you would have run the numbers. You would have been like, oh man, I got these whole golden handcuffs. So I think it's all, it's all related. It's got to be all related. It's true. It's true. I took a, in law school, I took an accounting for lawyers class because I was like, okay, I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. I should probably learn how to read balance sheets and statements and stuff like that. And how people felt walking out of that final was the funniest thing to me because it was like two-sided and people would be like, I didn't even get to the second side. And it, it was just numbers. It was just like looking at balance sheets, right? I do you think at the end of the day, balance sheets are mostly like 
profit and loss edition. And people were so worried about it. I would be like, there's a second side. That's, what? That's, that's, that's so crazy because like, you know, as you go into the practice of law, everything becomes about the business. And actually, this is a good segue for this uh, other article, Matt, that if I'm going to hijack the, the headlines, there's this article in the Financial Times last week that said, how big should a US law firm be? And it's a short article. I remember seeing it and I was like, okay, what's the takeaway here? What the, Are they going to have a magic number in here? Uh, but when you read the article, it says basically, oh, there's two approaches. You can either grow really big or stay small but profitable. And I'm like, that's the takeaway? You can either grow big or stay small? Like, that, <laughs> thanks for nothing. It took a second to click on that one. I'm like, yeah, that makes that's really good advice. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> It sounds good, right? It's it's one of those things that sounds really good, right? Like they, they gave examples of specific firms, right? Um, and then they threw in a little uh, AI bent to it. They said, uh, open question, what impact generative AI will have on all of these approaches? So so it's a good article, it's topical, but it's like, I don't know what insights come from it, but. It was a lot of uh, name dropping without a lot of substance, but I did find it interesting that the two law firms with now annual revenues of over $5 billion are Kirkland and Latham, right? And I do think they kind of go for the, like, the bigger is better strategy. They poach partners like crazy. They will give way more money to poach partners from other places. They give associates like more bonuses. They make you a uh, non-equity partner sooner. So there is something to maybe they're like leveraging the increasing individualism of the profession much earlier than a lot of the other law firms. Everyone's a profit center, sure. Or everyone is expected to be a profit center. Yeah, we have like no more. I mean, the law firms that are still lockstep are just exceedingly rare now. There's, I mean, even Cravath has moved away from that, which is kind of shocking. So it's, it must be tough to go into these firms being like, all right, it's lockstep. I'm going to be here forever and I'm going to make my millions and then have it change on you. I liked Brad Karp, um, the chair of Paul Weiss, said a, uh, a quote in it that I was like, I think all lawyers and aspiring lawyers should really look at this sentence because they need to consider it deeply before going into the law, which is, there is so much fragility in the law firm market, says Brad Karp. You are faced with coming up with existential strategies every day now. And I think that's really true. Like law isn't like a arrive and coast field anymore. It's facing existential crises day to day. That's totally true. That's that's totally true. And, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, in law, you kind of copy everyone else, you know, templates, uh, you know, oh, has this brief, have we used this brief before? Has it worked? And so there's a little bit of copycat going on as a as a way to approach a lot of these business problems, which, you know, can work. And it seems like, you know, I remember when Kirkland first released like this whole non-equity partner thing, everyone's like, oh, I made partner, I'm at Kirkland. And people, other people will say, yeah, but he's like a non-equity partner, non-equity partner. And then, and then like these meme accounts come out, like, like the one that we follow, non-equity partner on Instagram. Uh, so like, it's so fascinating to me that the firms are actually copying each other uh, on this specific thing. And... And I think that um, given this change with generative AI, and since I'm in tech, I always hear about it, there's talk of like restructuring of how many people, how, how do firms staff matters and, and, and you know, how many associates do you actually need? Do you need more partners, maybe fewer associates? I don't know. 
And and that's caused a lot of like, I don't know, debates and, and angst, especially on social media where these conversations are happening. Yeah, I've definitely seen tweets like that where it's like, will I have a job next year? Oh my gosh, AI is going to take over. Um, I will say it was like a smaller firm and coming from regional firms, you would staff those matters. I imagine they will staff those matters exactly the same because it's like one associate no matter what. Um, and now, and now it's like an extra associate. So for the smaller firms, it's great. Cause now it looks like it, it's the same level of profit, but just, you've got more, you've got more staff in quotations, but I mean, I, I can at least understand the fear at a much bigger law firm, but again, it's, it's profits. Do you really think we're going to use AI and, and get rid of an associate who's going to bill at eight or $900 an hour? Like be real. Yeah, but it's the juniors, though, who are at risk, right? The ones who bill out at 400 and could be saving the firm, I don't know, at this point, $300,000 in salary and benefits cost. Uh, I was talking to a chair of a big law firm and about this, actually, like, what will ChatGPT and AI do? And he was like, uh, and this was the inspiration for my article on your Substack, Alex, which is, he was like, I think we now need way more partners and way fewer junior associates to do the work, but we need more supervisors all around. But the question is, how do we get to a lot of partners and a lot of supervisors if we don't have a lot of junior associates? Are, we're gonna have to start like hiring from maybe mid-sized firms, like smaller firms who actually are able to be the training grounds. Whereas I think usually right now, big law is the training grounds for a lot of legal work. Oh my God, it's becoming baseball. Like it's like triple A. It's like triple A ball. Oh my God, law is becoming baseball. This is great. We're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, he's got that Kirkland feeder program out in, in <laughs> San Fran. He's doing all right. He's he's okay. His batting average is decent. He's a decent M&A partner. Well, well, here's my hot take, right? I would prefer that system of moving from firm to firm uh, as opposed to the current system of like, oh, hey, where did you go to law school? Uh We'll hire you from there. Oh, how did you do on your LSAT? Okay, I guess that's that's going to determine whether you go to one of these very profitable firms or, or not. So, so my hot take is like I, I like that system. I think it's closer to to the business world than than what we have now. Yeah, it's just it just makes me laugh. Other, you have like truly now truly tears like sports where you're like, yeah, he's at so and so. Oh yeah, that's oh that's the cravat feeder, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's great, right? It's almost like. It almost becomes prestigious to go to some of these mid-sized firms who are like feeding up, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that the big law firms should start their own feeder firms. I like for the, yeah, for the associates who are like, hey, you know what? I don't know if I want to be a partner here because you guys work way too hard, but I do like you all and I'd be happy to do a little less strenuous of a firm. And then they go off and like create their own offshoot, like midsize or small firm, and that becomes the training grounds and then it feeds up. I don't know if any big law chairs or managing partners, uh, feel free to take this idea. You're honestly taking notes of like, holy shit, yeah. crack the code. <laughs> yeah. CC is going to be the, the consultant and specialist on this. It'll be like the, uh, the, the D league, like the development league and the NBA where like, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't build enough hours. I think we're going to send them back down to regional, the regional firm, uh, or somebody build like 3,000 a year. Oh, let's, let's bring them up. We, had, we, we sent them over to the German league. <laughs> and you know it's going to work because like the lawyers are so, the lawyers, we lawyers are so focused on things like rankings, which I do want to talk about this next thing because it is yet another ranking 
of law firms that's just come out. Like, you know, we know about the vault, we know about Chambers. Now, uh, this week, or was it last week, Good to be Social, which I think is a marketing agency, uh, they released a ranking of law firm performance on social media. The shitposting Olympics. Which... (laughs) (laughs) No, Matt. None of these law firm accounts would ever shitpost. There's no shitposting in the corporate account, uh, Matt, unless you're Margolis PLLC. But interesting from the report, and I took a look at this and I posted about this on LinkedIn earlier this week. Um, It looks like they have in the report an overall ranking of firms' social media presences. And then they, they break into various platforms like Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, and they rank firms on their performance uh, in those categories, which, you know, personally, when I saw this, I thought it was hilarious because I'm like, I didn't even know these firms were on social media. I thought they just put up a page and didn't post anything. Pulling it up. I'm going to look now. I mean, Cece, did you take a look at any of these, any of these firms content? What do you think? I mean, I am really focusing on YouTube right now. And I was like, man, let's check out this YouTube list because they break it down by uh, social media platforms like podcast is a different one. I think Norton Rose Fulbright is the top of podcast. And for YouTube, it was uh, Mayor Brown. So I was like, all right, let me check out Mayor Brown's YouTube channel. What? Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Brown um, went on to it. And, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's like 3000 subscribers. Wow. They do seem to be putting out content. Uh, I the views are probably in the hundreds mostly for their videos. So they're definitely doing something more than nothing. But I was also like, I wonder what their goal is with this. Like what value are they finding in posting on YouTube, which is largely a consumer base. And is it just to say that they're doing something and be number one in a list because we love being number one in lists? Could be. could be a marketing person where like they hired somebody and they're like, that's the plan. We always have to, we have to get on social, but to everyone's point, right? Like we're a law firm. We can't shit post on the internet, um, which is bullshit. You can shit post all you fucking want. Um, but I'm guessing that's what it is. And I'm going through this list right now. And it's, 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 it makes me laugh. Like, you know, someone sat down and was like, guys, the list came out. We're number one in Twitter. We did it. We did it guys. And like everyone like high fives at some big conference room table like in Manhattan, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, I think it's funny. I, I do think this is the future. I, 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 good job to all the law firms for posting on social media or watching you and we're not impressed. Um, I don't care. I, I think it's such an interesting <laughs> contrast too, because I'm sure these firms are very proud of their social yeah. media ranking, but at the same time, they've got some of the most restrictive social media policies, like of any organization. And and I know, um, you know, this is something you know quite a bit about, uh, CC. But like, I know there was an article recently about how firms struggle or grapple with usage from their associates of social media. And and I'm just curious, like, you know, you you started your TikTok channel while you were still at Mofo. So what's your what's your take on all this? Yeah, I do think that law firms are pretty good at wanting things both ways, right? Like, you know, they would be like Valve where they're like, we set up the system and how dare they do this to us? And I think this is an example where uh, lawyers, right? I think we tend to want validation. We like prestige, even if we hate 
admitting that to ourselves and part of it is like okay we don't want the associates doing anything bad we don't want them saying any bad things so we'll put up a restrictive social media policy but at the same time lawyers love attention like lawyers love the idea of attention they just want it in their rankings they want it in the articles and probably a lot of them also want it in social media so there's this like tension there's this like cognitive dissonance that makes it really really uncomfortable uh to navigate uh and i think that we're kind of seeing this where they have like corporate accounts and they want those to be successful and they don't want their associates to post in like more human manners but at the same time they're like why isn't our corporate account doing as well as like our associate who's posting in this human manner how can we have it both ways and the issue I think is that in order to succeed on social media you have to play you have to have something at stake you have to have some risks but law firms, the corporation, don't want to put out anything. They don't want to risk anything because they're just like so risk averse. You're so right. And it's, there's, there's, and I, and I joked before, because there are some law firms that like have got it. Like I remember, and we all like at Bradley, we all know there's an attorney there is Kyle Robichaud. He's great. And he's somebody that I think they've encouraged my understanding, at least they've encouraged a social media posting. Um, it's a, a very human approach, super human approach. I don't think what he posts is offensive in any way. Definitely not. He's not shit posting like, like me per se, but that's a good example of there are firms that are like going in that direction, but in the same vein, I can name quite a few firms to your point where I'm sure they're looking at this list and like, why are we not number one mm-hmm. while still yelling at their associates that they posted online that they were going on vacation. Yeah. Um, hundred percent. Why are you going on vacation? Why are you telling the client, projecting to the client that you're going on vacation when you could have been billing those hours? Yeah. And I think yeah. the hard part is because social media and also like your standing within a firm, so much of it is just optics, which is hard to have a sense for unless you do have a sense for, right? This is sure. why PR companies exist, like comms. They exist as mm-hmm. industries because a lot of people don't have that sense of judgment. And that's that is something that law firms kind of struggle with sometimes. Like I would remember internal communications from leadership and I would just be like, how, how do they even okay this? Like, this is just terrible comms all around. Do they not have help? Do they not have someone else to help them figure out how to properly project? And the answer is, yeah, they do, but they don't use them because they think they know everything. Okay, Cece, I have a grand theory that I'm still working out okay. about <laughs> law on. firms and social media. Yes. Still working it out. So so I might change my mind. But uh, I think it's because many of these partners who exert so much control at the firm are used to having an audience who largely agrees with what, whatever they say. And so when you kind of take that person out of that environment and place them into like the real world, especially a real world like on, on the internet, on social media, where everyone's kind of equal... Uh, and, and like anything goes and people can say anything to anyone like that person, that partner is not really equipped to deal with that level of equality of that level of parity. And so sometimes they'll say things like, like that are really out of touch. And then, and then everyone's like, Oh my God, like, why would you put that out there? Like, why would you let everyone a ratio to oblivion? But then it's because they probably got together with the other partners and they, they're used to talking a certain way, used, used to having certain conversations. And, and p- personally, that's why I love social media in, in our world, because 
then people like it's so much more uh democratic and free-flowing than 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 behind the doors or like inside the headquarters of some firm right because in 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 those places the power dynamics are so strange that that you can't really state what you're thinking no one says what they're thinking nobody says that the emperor has no clothes and so i think that social media is interesting and i and i i'm poking fun at these firms but um and, and that's why i made this point in my linkedin post about about this report that individual voices tend to be uh, more effective on social media than the corporate voice because the corporate voice is largely ran by uh, or or maybe uh, approved by, checked off by these very senior lawyers who are a little bit out of touch, who are not used to being in a room of, full of equals. And, and so you want to amplify also the individual lawyers uh, at your firm. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to that because even when it comes to things like management training, right? for partners like some partners are just horrible managers like do not know how to oversee any projects do not know how to talk to associates like i remember one partner uh she came into my office one time and she put down this memo i had written and she was like are you lazy and i was like whoa there that's this is like a bit extreme to start with right like i i did put in work into this are you lazy matt are you gonna you're gonna you're gonna do that when you start hiring associates you're gonna start asking them if they're lazy i'm I'm like such an example of like the like overly cautious millennial uh boss like is everything okay do you need a break do you want to take time off (laughs) right you get so scarred by management from like other generations you're like is everything okay i'm here for you like gen z is like wow this guy is really annoying um i'm like it's okay it's fine do your thing. I'm the cool boss, right? I'm just like really <laughs> overbearing and obnoxious. So I won't tell someone they're lazy. You'll just think it. You'll just, yeah, you'll just think it. <laughs> you'll piece it together from 45 super nice emails. Like, all right, I think he thinks I'm lazy. But yeah. That's, and it's a really good point though. Everything you're yeah. saying is a good point. And you see, honestly, you see it with celebrities on the internet, right? That's what, mm-hmm. that's what makes Twitter, for example, that's what makes Twitter so great is you have these celebrities go on the internet and finally go off the cuff and they don't have a corporate PR department or manager or whatever, and they'll say exactly your point, say these things that they think everyone agrees with, and then done. Full ratio, com- just absolutely destroyed, and then it's all public. And it, 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 I have seen that from partners in law firms. I've seen that from lawyers in the internet, like plenty of plenty of times. And I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And I mean, that's, that's probably the impetus for some of these restrictive policies too, because maybe they've seen these partners get eviscerated on the internet, and they're like, the last thing I want is XYZ company being like, hey, you remember so-and-so who's the head of the antitrust practice? Didn't he get blasted and the FTC liked it? Uh, did the yep. corporate account like it? Uh, so I, I, it, it makes sense. It certainly makes sense. But like, also to your points, like, you have to allow these individuals to, to shine because I, I've run corporate accounts myself and like, that's not what resonates with people. I mean, the, yeah. the individual always will resonate. And for better or for worse, if they, I mean, obviously some training is good, but for better or for worse, you have to let their opinions out there. I also think letting individuals associates have social media, it does provide a training ground for PR and comms and media training going forward. And yeah, I mean, they might say something bad, but if they, they're going to say something bad and anyway, but you don't let them, then they're going to become partners and then yes. st- still say something really bad. Yeah, exactly say something really bad (laughs) yeah exactly and i just don't think it's i mean of course i think everyone hates getting canceled so they 
don't want that to happen. But I think especially as cancel culture kind of dies down a little and we're a little bit more open to having conversations about why people say things, it will be good to let your associates say things to to provide a training ground for the future, which is just that I do think the future of social media for corporations is to have individual employees kind of be the voices. That's just how it's, you're basically like an outward facing representative. You know, it, it almost seems like the firms always talk about training of the young lawyers, but in very specific ways. Like, you know, uh, yes, we want to train them to understand how to check over typos, grammatical errors, run and maybe run and manage a case or a deal. But when it comes to things like generating business or putting yourself out there in the public comms, there's there's le- there's more of a hesitance to do that. And and there was a comment on my LinkedIn over the over this past week about it. And, and somebody said, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it, it was something along the lines of the firms want their lawyers to get some publicity enough to help the firm, but not so much that they get poached away. And and so I think that's a very reasonable uh, 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 force that, that counteracts with the, the, the wanting to train their people. And I wonder like, uh, I don't know if you all have experience with this, but like, what if the firms are worried that if these lawyers get really good and build their own brands online, that they'll just get poached away and it it won't create value for the firm? What wasn't it? I, I feel like it was during COVID or whenever it was. At, it would have been like in the middle of COVID when things were like really hot. But wasn't there a policy at least someone had put out that like people had to like get rid of LinkedIn accounts and stop posting on LinkedIn because of that exact fear? I, I vaguely remember that. If I'm talking out of my ass, bear with me, guys. I definitely remember some sort of at least conversation, like we don't want you posting on social media because of the fear, because the associate market was so hot. Um, it sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. Yeah, you I remember this? Like I, I, I definitely that. remember something or at least someone alluding to this. And it, whether it's true or not, it would make sense to me because I, I think that is also a fear where you're, you're outshining the firm and you get too big, right? You get too close to the sun and they're afraid you as opposed to your wings melting off you actually fly into another you know to another planet mm-hmm. which is the strangest analogy i've ever made but um i <laughs> did i did it's the strength definitely but it's like top five but it's but i agree with you i do think there probably is that fear as well where you're outshining the firm or you're getting too too big for your britches if you will right there and there's plenty of partners i'm sure i guess it's twofold right you have partners who have big egos that are like i don't need my associate outshining me. but in the same uh like vein it's also like wow, you're getting so big and you're producing business, you're not even going to be here anymore. Someone's going to take you away and I can't let that happen. So I definitely think there's these two like issues at play there for why you wouldn't want your associate posting on social media. And again, I, I don't know. I don't understand the analogy I just gave you. Just so bear with me on that one. No, I think this is a very common... Uh, attitude that bosses have for their employees, right? Is that they want them to be really effective, really good. But some bosses get really, really mad when they move on to other jobs or they like develop the skills. Uh, I think I was talking to someone about, they were thinking about hiring a personal assistant and they're like, yeah, you know, I need a personal assistant. But the issue with personal assistants is that no one wants to be a personal assistant forever. It is a job that you have in order to gain skills, get connections, and then you're always going to go elsewhere. So it creates this like Alex said, these like this conflict of interest where you want someone who's really good and who does something, but there's a hesitation for them to get too good because then they'll leave you. And I think the good bosses, and this was something I really appreciated at MoFo was no one ever tried to stop me from doing anything. And it was the first time. And 
I'm someone who I like went into the corporate space, the law firm space, completely prepared to kowtow and to, you know, delete social media if they ask for it, to do anything that they ask for. And the fact that I was faced with leadership and they were like, no, we like this, like this is good. And if you leave, then, you know, that's really proud of you. Like you're off to do other things. And I was like, what, what is happening? Yeah, I, I was so floored by just how, kind and considerate they were that I was like this should like everyone should experience this like they shouldn't feel this fear that if they get other opportunities that they shouldn't take them because I think that's the definition of an abusive relationship when someone's just like no you can't leave you can't leave this relationship like you'll never get better than me (laughs) like okay chill you're a law firm um that that may, that's awesome. That's first off, that's awesome. I think everyone, every firm should be encouraging that because it makes it hard to leave. I mean, granted, like you did leave, but you left for completely other reasons. If I wanted to do both, I wanted to create content and stay at a law firm with that mentality. Like, where yeah. am I going to get, where am I going to go? Who's going to give me that same opportunity? Right, right. And it like left such a good impression in my mouth. Like if I were to go back to big law, of course I would go back there. Why? it was just like they were so kind in so many ways. And I was like, I don't think it's that hard, guys, to be kind and recognize your employees as individuals and still have it turn out good. I think there's an overall fear sometimes that if you let people do what they want to do, that they will do bad things. Which is, which is I think, the, uh, the underlying principle behind legal work, right? Which is you want to create structures so when people don't, you know, you assume the worst of people. So you create these like, structures that protect against it. Um, but as you were saying that, CC, I was thinking, I'm going to tie some ideas together. Maybe the pro- way to solve this is to really create a farm team, a development league of, okay, affil- an affiliated firm, like you have like a, a big firm, and then you have like a, a smaller firm under it that's only with associates, and you're, you're only there for five years, and then you're out. And so everyone knows you're going to be out, and then everyone's treated like, you know, and they'll They'll be taught things like, you know, managing, you know, cases and deals, but also how to manage a public profile, uh, how to generate clients with no threat to the mothership, the main team. And then uh, just, just go along with me here. I'm just really out there right now. But um, maybe that is how you get over the training issue when AI gets rid of a bunch of associates, because now you have a different program where, you know, you're, you're learning the things that you need to become partner but but it's just in a different structure. I don't know. I, I think that I think the org structure has to change both because of AI, but because of these these challenges. Because uh, you know, associates today are not like associates five, ten, twenty years ago. Associates are, are demanding more. They also are wanting more uh, from work, uh, work life balance, uh, lots of things that I'm I'm even learning myself. So so I think that whoever moves on these changes is probably going to capture a lot of the rewards early. So anyways, that's my harebrained crazy idea. Farm team, development league, whatever you want to call it. I love it. I uh, I, I don't know if I love it. I just said that because that's just always what I say in these situ- situations where I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to say I love it, right? That's like, the, again, it's millennial in me where I'm like, you just agree, agree, agree. So I don't know how you feel with the farm team, the, the farm league, just because I would be in one of those feeder firms because I'm like a, a regional small firm attorney. Um, I... It's interesting. It's certainly interesting. And I, I don't know if I hate it. I have to think about it. Next episode, I'm going to come back with my thoughts on it after I like... Matt, we don't want you to think. We want you to just react. Just oh, react. Sorry. It's a sorry. podcast. You're podcast. supposed to oh, say sorry. something that gets canceled. Wow. Actually, you should write it in your newsletter. That's what you should do. Oh, yeah. Write, write your reaction in the newsletter. 
reaction. I don't know. I'm just going to do like random onomatopoeia. Ow. Uh, is that, it's like a comic book. Uh, <laughs> on that note, we can, on, we, we, but long and short, I will think about this. I will honestly come back next episode, very briefly give mm-hmm. my thoughts on this. Cause it is a really interesting thought process of having these firms at a mid-level, potentially a prestigious like mid-level that shoots upwards to, but then it gives this assumption that like, that's the big league that you're not practicing in the big league, which I hate that thought, right? Because mid-level boutique firms are doing high quality work. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to steal on this one. This is all I'm going to steal on it. I'm going to steal on it too. Maybe that's a, a good place to wrap this episode for this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening guys. And hope you enjoyed it. Follow us on all of our socials because we have them finally. And if you are affiliated with George Mason university, please send us an email or DM because we want to hear from you. Yeah.